Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Anit, daf Lamed Aleph, page 31, and with it, our grand finale. It happens to be that this daf is really quite short. It's just Amud Aleph. And um, Yerdena, we're going to we're going to divide the daf and read basically the whole text. Um, it does continue in what we've been talking about up until now, specifically, most recently, the 15th of Av, right? This day of happiness and great joy. And we were going through, there's a list of what was, what had happened to make the 15th a day, a reason for joy. So this continue the Gemara continues with this and then has a little bit of a deep dive into one of those reasons. Rav Matna Amar, Rav Matna said as follows, one of the reasons for the salvation on this day, Yom Shinitnu Harugei Beitar Fura, the day that this, the, it's a story of the slain of Beitar, the people who have been killed in the, well, we talked about this at some point before, or we've mentioned it, the Harugei Beitar were in the, let's take a step back, right? So there's, the Romans were conquering Israel, the land of Israel, and the Bar Kochba and his followers revolted, and then at some point, Hadrian, who was the emperor in Rome, who's also called Adrianus in Hebrew, he had a whole bunch of decrees against against the Jews, against keeping Jew, Judaism, everything, right? And one of them was a prohibition against burying people who were slain in war, anybody who was killed in war. Now, the story of Beitar, right, is that the people we – where did we see this here, Dana? Do you remember? Do we talk about it? Do we not do the deep – Yes. Well, we Self? we talked about Beitar. No, because uh, the story of Beitar will appear later. But we talked about Beitar yesterday because that's one of the five things that happen on Tisha B'Av. So, so that's so right. The, the, the bad part, right? Exactly. So the they these it was the the group of Beitar, being these people who were you know defending whatever. And we'll talk about this in depth when we come to the actual discussion of Beitar later in the Gemara, but not in this Masachet. And so what matters here is that these people had been killed and they weren't buried, which is kind of anathema in the Jewish faith, right, where we bury very fast. So finally, at this point, um, it was quite, according to Masachet Gitin, right, this is really a, that's really where the story of Beitar is found. Um, they were finally brought to burial, not just a few days later. It sounds like it's a few days later, but the battle at Beitar happened to have been like, seems to be several years prior to the time that they were actually buried, which then they, there's discussion about the miracle, about the bodies, whatever. We'll talk about this at another time. The point is, there was great rejoicing at the fact that this travail was over. And at that same time, when these people, when these people who had been killed were brought to burial, they also um, established this bracha, the blessing of that God is one who is good and does good. Uh, there are several things that were decreed at the time of this burial from Beitar. Right? God is good, namely that the corpses did not decompose, as I said, right? There's this miracle with the bodies that did not decompose. And God does good, meaning thanking God that they were finally brought to the that they were finally brought to burial. Um, and okay, so that's that's also right. It's also one of the brachot of benching, I think, is ascribed to this story of Beitar. Again, we'll come to it some other time. Um, Rabbi Rav Yosef de Amrutavayu, and then Rabbi and Rav Yosef said about 
the 15th of Av, Yom Shepasku Milikrot Etzim Lamaracha. It is also the day that they stopped chopping down the trees for the arranging the wood that would burn on the Mizbeach, which is really the tiny, it's from a, from a bright, the Rebelezer Hagadol Omer, Mechamishasar Ba'av Ve'elach, Tashash Kocho Shalchama, Velo Hayu Kortin Etzim Lamaracha, Lafisha Enan Yevishim. So that from that point on, they the it's when the the it says the strength of the sun itself grows weaker, meaning that at that point we're getting it's a hot time of the year, and then after that, meaning we're talking about I don't know what mid to late August maybe, right? Depending on the year, I guess it really could be the beginning of August also, depending on how it falls out. But right, and then at that point, the strength of the sun, the humidity, the heat that we know from the land of Israel is supposed to fade, right? It's going to get cooler now. And then from that day on, they would not cut any more wood for the Mizbeach because it would not be properly dry. I mean, the assumption is that it won't be dry and there wouldn't be any use for the temple. The question I have here, of course, is why is this a sign of rejoicing? Meaning it seems like a technical date on the calendar, you know, like change your storm windows kind of thing as a, or, you know, getting ready for the winter. I'm not really clear why this is a joyous moment. Amar of Menashe, and then also Ramana Nashi says that the 15th of the Av is the day Yom Tvar Magal. It's the day that they would have the breaking of the scythe. Meaning at that point, when they wouldn't cut any more trees down, then they would, you know, I don't know if they really broke their tools, if they really just put them away. And from then onwards, right, the days would begin to shorten. And what they did was they would add learning, Mosif Yosif, they would add learning Torah in their night. V'dolo Mosif Ya'asif. And then the line is, if you would add Torah learning, then that's great. And if you did not add Torah learning, Ya'asif, you will be gathered. This is a biblical phrase. Um, well, it says it here, Ma Ya'asif, Amar Yosef, Tigbere Ime. It says that you will, his mother will bury him meaning he will be gathered to his grave. This is, again, not such a joyous point about the 15th of Av, but the idea of recognizing that the winter is coming and that there's more time to do certain other things, in this case, learning Torah and making good use of that time. You know, it's kind of a, a sharp way of phrasing, uh, of making the point to go make use of your time and go learn Torah. In any case, that's the point about these. Uh, all of these are the things that are ascribed to the 15th of Av, and your Dana, I'll turn the best one over to you. Um, and then finally, the Mishnah, you know, says Shabahem benot Yerushalayim. And it talks about sort of what some of the activities were um, on that particular day. And it says, Tanu Revanan, Bat Melech Shual Mipat So it's talking about this uh, sort of practice of them borrowing clothes. So when you read it in the Mishnah, it looks like everybody just sort of borrowed freely from each other. This Bryce sort of gives a little bit more of a hierarchical order to this, right? So the king's daughter would borrow, you know, would borrow clothing from the Kohen Gadol daughter. So in other words, you would go slightly lower in rank, right? The daughter of the Kohen Gadol from the Skan, the deputy Kohen Gadol, the deputy Kohen Gadol, and the deputy uh, from the uh, uh, the Meshuach Melchama, right? Remember, that's the coin who's anointed for battle. Ubat Meshuach Melchama Mibat Kohen Hedjot. And the daughter of the uh, coin anointed for battle from a ordinary Kohen. The Kohen Yisrael Sharolin Zemizan. All the other 
you know, basically women would just borrow from each other. Um, so that nobody would be embarrassed uh, if they themselves did not have, you know, any uh, appropriate clothing. Um, and then, uh, you know, so there's something um, about this particular practice, but I think this Mishnah tries to make it, there's a little bit of hierarchy in it. Then the Mishnah, our Mishnah at least goes on, that talks about kol kelim tunim tevila, that all these garments would require immersion. Remember, this was in the time with Tumankara, where they actually would take clothing to the mikvah. And the reason here is because you don't know if somebody was tummy and wore it, and maybe the garment was tummy. I'm a Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar says, Even if the garment was folded and lying in a, in a chest, meaning it had to be takor, you still would take it to the um, mikvah. So in other words, as a way of not embarrassing anybody, um, so it's sort of going all the way the other way, that we didn't want to embarrass anyone who's maybe clothing was tummy, and particularly in that time, if a woman was menstruating, her clothing would be considered to be tummy. So considering the age of the of the group of women who were participating in this particular ritual, it definitely was possible that many items of clothing were considered to be tummy. So in order to not embarrass anybody, everybody just, um, you, you just tobelled, uh, you brought all the clothing to the mikvah. Then the Mishnah goes on, our Mishnah, but no Yisraeli Karmin. So the maidens of Israel would go out and dance in the vineyards. And now the Gemara wants to explain this, right? Tana, Mishain lo isha nifnet l'shem. Whoever lacked wife would turn there to find one. So in other words, anybody who wasn't married, this was sort of their day to try to find a wife. Then the Mishnah goes on and says, right? And so the Mishnah talks about what each, you know, different groups of women, what they would say to sort of like entice uh, some, you know, uh, a man or a young man to, in them. So now there's again a bracelet that sort of expands on this Mishnah. To the beautiful ones, what would they say? Pay attention to beauty. For a wife is primarily there for uh, for beauty. Now, I totally understand this uh, may not sit well with many people. Um, what are those who sort of came from Yichas who came Distinguished lineage. So they would say, pay attention to the family. Because a woman is only for uh, childbearing. In other words, uh, that if a woman comes from a good family, she'll tend to raise her children well, right? So those who were, you know, a little not as good looking, right? What would they say? Uh, what would they say? Oh, it says ugly. It says ugly. Okay, it says ugly. Okay. What would they say? You acquire your purse basically for the sake of heaven, right? So it's basically saying, don't, uh, you know, now it's interesting that our particular Mishnah quotes, the Hevel Hayofi, this price seems to be very different than our Mishnah. So it's worth flipping back to the original Mishnah just to compare and contrast them again. The Mishnah, it makes it a much more democratic and where the women are dancing and they're saying, like, don't pay attention to beauty. Here we have these two braces, the first brace that says there was some hierarchy with the borrowing of the clothes. And here where it's only, you know, they don't quote this particular Mishnah, but they talk about what the beautiful ones, the ones from good yichos, and then the ugly ones, right? They basically say, you know, get married for the sake but only on the condition that after marriage, you adorn us, you bring us 
uh, gold jewelry. Um, so, you know, so the Mepharshim sort of say, like, what, what does that mean exactly? Um, and so some Mepharshim say that it's sort of their way of saying, that, you know, nice clothing will make anybody look good, which there is some truth to, to that also. Um, so and then finally, um, the Mishnah ends actually in a very, very spiritual way, um, really talking about a particular nature of the relationship between God and Israel. And Amar Ula Bira Amar Rabbi Elazar. So Ula, this is an, I don't think our regular Ula, said in the name of Rabbi Elazar, In the future, right, God will make a circle of righteous people. And he will sit among them, right, in the middle of the circle. So in other words, it will where he, where God is surrounded by tzaddikim, and each and every one will point his finger towards God. And here they quote a pasuk from Yeshayahu, chapter twenty-five, uh, verse nine. And I'll say in that day, behold, this. We hope to him and he saved us. This is God to whom we hoped. Let us exalt and be glad in his um, salvation. So interesting things here. You know, one is I think this imagery of the circle definitely makes you think about the story of Honi, which I think is probably the most famous story uh, in all of Masachat Tanit, except now it's sort of God who sort of puts himself in a circle. Um, I think it's a very fitting end to this Masachat because this whole Masachet is basically about the relationship we have towards prayer and what can prayer control or not control in our world. Um, it's not about individual prayer, but more about communal prayer. And so I think this idea of most of the Masachet deals with sort of like our relationship of reaching out to God, and it ends with this image of sort of God being surrounded by the tzaddikim. And for a whole Masachet that's really about sort of us you know, praying to God, sort of that image, you know, you almost picture of like God being surrounded by the prayers of the tzaddikim that are mentioned or the, the prayers of the community that are mentioned throughout this masachet. And finally, uh, the word here where it says, um, uh, sorry, where it says, so the word there for circle um, you know, I saw it in a few places as well that it's the same root of the word memchet lamed of uh, of forgiveness, um, right? That that somehow so so it also sort of implies that God will forgive B'nai Israel for all their sins. And again, I think that fits with this uh, masachet because of the idea that we saw at the beginning was that at Sirat Geshamim, the idea of not getting rain is as the result of our sin. The Masechet is sort of ending with a promise that eventually all of our sins will always be forgiven. And then presumably this issue that we would have of rain not coming would never actually happen. Um, so with that, Hadron Alayich Masechet Tanit. And anything you want to say just about how this, what I found a beautiful Masechet concluded. I find it also to be a beautiful masachet. I just want to say a, um, just a word on the word machol. Right? Machol is also meaning the dancing right so we've got these girls who are dressed in white 
in borrowed finery, right? I I hear everything you're saying about the like the hierarchy here, but this is this is that imagery of everybody going out to the vineyards to dance, and everybody's going to choose spouses there, you know, for more or less laudable motivations. Fine, but then we come to this idea of these tzaddikim, which is kind of a step beyond what we've just seen in the most like practical kind of dance, let's say. Then here we've got the dance of these righteous people and God will be among them. And then I agree exactly with, you know, the Masachat ends with the word Yeshua To, meaning God's salvation, which is exactly what everybody has been fasting for, praying for, etc. throughout the whole Masachat, that God should provide us with a clear sign of his salvation with, you know, from the beginning, it's the proper reign. And we all know that salvation can come in many different forms. The goal is that, you know, that that relationship between the people who are reaching out to God will be, you know, redeemed and answered in this way of Nagila v'nismecha b'yishuato, that we will, we will rejoice and be happy, I guess those are synonyms, in God's salvation. I, I think it is a very powerful ending. Well, with that, uh, we hope all of you had joined us yesterday uh, for our CM. If you were not able to make it, um, it will be posted. We have a YouTube channel, actually, for Talking Talmud. Um, so you can search us on YouTube. It will also be posted on our Facebook page. Um, and so with that, thank you for joining us. Rankers Reviews and all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Uh, tomorrow, we will, God willing, be beginning Masachat Megillah. Uh, please family to join with us. It's a great Masachat to start uh, any Talmud learning journey with. And until tomorrow, go and learn.